0: Welcome to the Thurfield Chapel Sermon Podcast. Good morning. Let me extend my welcome to you. My name's uh, Paul. I serve here as part of the leadership team as pastor at Thurfield Chapel. Great to see you here uh, this morning. Just uh, a few additional uh, notices I, I, I struggle to call them notices. I used to be in a church where I used to call them Church Family News because people, you say, if you say notices, people switch off. If you say Church Family News, everyone's listening. Now, people just switched off when you said Church Family News. Uh, but, you know, these are things that we can be praying for. Notices aren't just notices. They can inform us, can't they? Not things that we just join in with, but things we can pray for as well. Uh, on that note, uh, this evening, uh, the prayer and sort of worship thing, I've had some people ask me kind of what's happening as well, just... It is sometimes help that you know what you're going to come along to and experience. We're going to be here for about uh, between an hour and an hour and 15, and the evening will be broken into four roughly equal segments. So we'll have a period of time of sung worship, then we'll break into a time of, of open prayer, and then another time of sung worship, and a time of, of open prayer. We'll probably be sitting in something of this format, depending on how busy we are. We might be closer, might be further back, uh, but that's what we're going to be doing this evening, and every time there's a fifth Sunday in the month, we're going to be trying to do something like that. I think you used to do something similar uh, in the past. Um, So that's one thing. What was the other thing I was going to talk about? Oh, um, uh, questions, questions. I'd said, you know, if anyone had any questions, might do a question and response sort of thing from what we've been looking at in Luke. January's been pretty busy so far. Um, Not too many questions have come in. But as we continue to go through Luke's gospel, those questions come up, just throw them in and at an appropriate time, might find a way of doing that in a format uh, that will be helpful. I mean, this morning, we've only got a short section. I'm actually going to key in on um, like two or three particular verses anyway. We're going to be continuing with this theme in the weeks that follow. And I'll probably touch on some of the things next week that I miss out this week. But if any questions come out, Email them to me, and uh, at some point, we'll have a look uh, at that together. Uh, let's pray then uh, as we come and we spend some time uh, looking a bit further at this passage. Father, we thank you that we, we have this privilege of coming before you now. We thank you that as we, we gather together, Lord, as your people... Lord, that you are in our midst, that we don't need to be in a special building, uh, that we don't need to be uh, in a special place, uh, but that we come, that we come together, we come in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, uh, and we pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes, you would open our hearts, uh, that we may know more of your ways, and that we may show, Lord, more of your ways, more of your goodness, Lord, more of your glory. Amen. Okay, how should we respond? How should we respond to the outsider and to the outcast? Now, how are we to respond as Christians, as a church? This is a question that the Church of England has been wrestling with recently, and you may have seen on the news over the sort of last uh, 10 days, uh, the Church of England's response to the LGBTQI community. Now, although we're not part of the Church of England, you know, this isn't a theoretical question for us. Because there are many of us who are here, myself included. You know, we have loved ones, friends, family who identify as part of the LGBTQI community. Now, you may well be sitting here today and you experience something of same sex attraction, you experience gender dysphoria. Maybe you feel like an outcast. Maybe you've been treated like an outcast. So this isn't theoretical. We're not just talking about theory. This is a real question for us. How do we respond to the outsider and to the outcast? Now, if you've seen some things on the news, the Church of England's response is to say they're going to bless same-sex civil partnerships, but same-sex couples will still be banned from marrying in the Church of England. So they've come to this, this compromise, and it's a compromise that leaves everyone unhappy. So there are people who say, well, this hasn't gone far enough. And then there are people who say, this has gone too far. And uh, No, both ends of the spectrum. And ironically, you know, these proposals that the Church of England have come up with just cause more people to be excluded because of their particular views and their stance. All they've ended up doing is creating more outcasts. And so when we come to this question, how should we respond? How should we respond to the outsider and to the outcast? Now, if we call ourselves Christians, the real question is, well, what what does Christ do? If we bear the name of Christ, if we are followers of Christ, what is Christ's response? How does Jesus respond to the outsider and to the outcast? That's the question we're going to be considering uh, this morning and I'm not going to be focusing in on the church's response to the LGBTQI uh, pluses community for several reasons. And one is because the text that we're looking at, that's not the main focus. That may be an application. It may be an application for us at this point in time, but it's not the main focus. And I don't think we do anyone any favors if we just make this text about sexual identity. Because the result is we'll start mishearing, we'll start misapplying things, particularly the finer details. Like, for example, I am not saying that same-sex attraction is equated with leprosy. But that's a way that it could be misunderstood if we just make this about that question. And then we miss out on all the other ways that this applies. The ways that it challenges us, the ways that it comforts us. This is a, a general question that we're looking at. There may be specific ways... That we need to apply it in our lives, but how does Jesus respond to the outsider and to the outcast? And there's a specific outsider that Jesus meets here. A specific outcast. It's a man with leprosy, and we don't find ourselves in that same context. And the chances of us bumping into a leper are very slim, but you know what? That's okay, because we're not looking for a methodology. It's not what we're coming to Scripture. We're not finding a methodology that we just take out and we plonk into the various experiences that we find ourselves in. What we're looking to do, and as we come to Scripture, what we're looking to do is to see the heart of Christ. And as we see the heart of Christ, as we see the glory of Christ, then to behold that, and by the work of the Holy Spirit, changing and transforming us as we behold the glory of Christ that we reflect that glory with an ever-increasing glory. and So then that we respond to the outsider, to the outcast, whoever they are, whatever context, in the way that Jesus does. That we reflect Him. So we're in Luke's Gospel. If you've got your your Gospel journals, have them open. Um, We've still got some right at the back uh, if you want to grab one or have your Bible open. Uh, uh, Luke, we're going to be in Luke 5. As we continue this series in Luke, we've been considering how the purpose in Luke's writing is to demonstrate that Jesus is indeed the fulfillment of all God's plans, of all God's promises. From the very beginning, God's purpose has been that the blessing of his presence, it extends over the whole earth. And over the last few weeks, we've seen something of this theme getting picked up a bit more in Luke's gospel, back in chapter four, as Jesus is in Nazareth. And he declares to the people there, the message of the kingdom, the blessing of the kingdom is going to go out. It's going to go to the outsider, to those who are considered outside the kingdom. And there, as Jesus is speaking to the people in Nazareth, he's referring to the Gentiles. So the Gentiles were non-Jews. Now, I imagine most of us, if not all of us here, would come under the classification of, of Gentiles. So the non-Jews, those who are outside the kingdom... The outsider. And it's the outsider who's going to be invited in. But then the question comes, how? How is the outsider invited in? How is the outsider brought in? By what means is the kingdom of God going to expand? And we see something of the answer of that in our passage this morning. It begins a theme that's going to continue on uh, certainly next week, maybe in some of the weeks that follow. Now, our passage this morning, we have Jesus who encounters a man with leprosy. I don't know what you think of as you hear that term, uh, leprosy. Uh, The leprosy that we read of in Scripture is somewhat different to the leprosy, maybe that we think of today, Hansen's disease. It's not the same. Uh, It's thought that actually, I think it was the troops of Alexander the Great who probably brought that type of, of leprosy to the Middle East certainly at the time of the Old Testament, that wasn't the leprosy that was known. And then come uh, 9th century AD, confusion happened between the terms of different types of of skin diseases. and So we tend to conflate in our mind uh, leprosy in the Bible with modern day leprosy. In Scripture, leprosy actually is this umbrella term uh, that is used for a number of skin diseases. None of them seem to be leprosy in the way that We understand it today. But the point is, lepers were outcasts. To be a leper was to be an outcast. And for us to understand the reason for that, to appreciate something of what's going on here, we're going to take a step back. And we're going to do something that you're always told not to do when you're preaching. And that is to spend a significant period of time outside the passage that you're in. So we're going to go take that step back. We're going to look at Leviticus For a bit. I know we've dipped into that a bit in the past, but I think so that as we do so, it's going to lay a helpful foundation as we look at what happens here in Luke chapter 5, as we look at things that continue to occur in Luke's gospel. So, uh, Leviticus. Leviticus is uh, the third book in the Old Testament. Um, And that's part of the Jewish Scriptures. Now, these are the Scriptures that Jesus came to bring to fulfillment. The book of Leviticus basically deals with this question, how can a holy God dwell with His people? How can a holy God dwell with His people? Because the presence of God is good. It's life-giving. It brings blessing. But it's also dangerous. An example is often used of the sun. When you think of the sun, the sun is good. It gives life to things on this earth. It gives light. It gives heat. It gives warmth. If we were to get any closer to the sun, now in our current state, our state of existence, we would be consumed. In a similar manner, the presence of God, it is good, it is life-giving, but it's also dangerous. And so in Leviticus We read of these three categories. You've got the holy, you've got the clean, and you've got the unclean. Now, for the clean to encounter the holy, it's life. It's blessing. It's good. It's desirable. If the unclean encounters the holy, the result is to be consumed. Now, maybe it will help if we are draw a parallel uh, with life, death, and mortality. So if you think of the mortal state, uh, and you no, parallel that with, with clean, for the mortal state to encounter life is to experience life. It's good, it's desirable, isn't it? That, that's what we want. We want to experience life. What happens if death encounters The source of life. If death encounters life. And we're thinking here uh, as life in all its goodness, in all its fullness, so good, so powerful, so pure, that death gets consumed. And we're not talking about you know just powers and forces here. This isn't an impersonal force. We're talking about God and who God is. God is holy. Now, God is life. In Him is life. He gives life to all things. And so good and so powerful and so pure is the presence of God. Now what happens if death encounters such life? Now we've sung about it. What happened after Jesus was crucified and He was buried in the grave and death encounters life? Life, is, as life consumes, life swallows up death in victory. This isn't because life and holiness is bad. It's because it's so good. The death is consumed. Life consumes death. The holy consumes the unclean. And so Leviticus is asking this question, how then can a holy God, the holy God, dwell with his people? And one of the main teachings is, well, then the people need to be in this clean state. To be in that state that is clean is to experience life. It is to experience blessing. To be in a state that's unclean would be to be consumed. So the people of God are to be in this clean state. And to be in a clean state means to be separate from all these things that are associated with death. To be separate from this state of death. And so there are a number of things uh, that can make uh, a person unclean. And these are all things that are associated uh, with death. So bodily fluids that are associated with life as they leave the body, that's considered uh, a state of death. And so you'll read of that in Leviticus. And for that to happen puts you in an unclean state. It puts you in a state that is associated with death to touch a dead body or a dead animal that would put you in a a state of death. It would render someone unclean. And if you're in a state of uncleanness, that then can be transferred. So if, if the unclean touches the clean, or the clean touches the unclean, then that which is clean becomes unclean. Does that make sense? If what is clean touches the unclean, it becomes unclean. Just like if what is mortal... Encounters death, the result is a state of death. So there are various things that could make people unclean. Now often those were temporary states. So you wouldn't stay that in that state permanently. There are various regulations for cleansing in the Book of Leviticus, so people could move from this unclean state to a clean state. So you could you could be clean and be made unclean. But then if you're unclean. You could also be made clean through various regulations. Now, if, if this helps, you can think of Leviticus being like instructions for snakes and ladders. Now, it's telling you there are certain things that move you down like a snake, and there are other things that can move you back, these various regulations on purity. So, in summary, Leviticus, Leviticus teaches us God's holiness is good. Is good, is a desirable thing. And if you are in a clean state, encountering the holiness of God, it results in life and blessing. To be in an unclean state and to encounter God's holiness is to be consumed. That's Leviticus. Right, Luke. Uh, Luke chapter 5, then verse 12. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along. Who was covered with leprosy? Leprosy was one of those things that could make someone unclean. And if you were in that state of uncleanness, that state of death, you had to separate yourself. Because you couldn't come into God's presence. And you couldn't spread that around to everyone else, so you were separated. You're something of an outcast, really. But here's a particular problem when it comes to leprosy. Now, if an ancient Israelite, if they touch a dead body, say a, a corpse of an animal, then that state of uncleanness is transferred to them. They're put in this state of death for a certain period of time. They've been contaminated. And once that period of time has ended, there are various uh, regulations that are given, purity regulations. And then they can be removed from that state of uncleanness, from that state of death, and brought back into a state of of cleanness, a state of mortality. So there's a contamination that could happen. It was this temporary contamination. So we said most people didn't remain in that state of uncleanness. With leprosy, it's different. Because to be a leper was to carry within one's own body that state of death. So you touch a corpse, temporary contamination. If you're a leper, it is like having a corpse permanently bound to you. You are constantly in that state of contamination, of death contamination. So lepers were viewed as the living dead, kind of these walking corpses. So not only were they permanently contaminated, they could also potentially contaminate anyone that they came into contact with. So they're outsiders. Socially, uh, they were outcasts. So as we come to this, this event here in Luke's gospel, as Jesus encounters this leper, we have this question, how does Jesus respond? How should we respond to the outsider and to the outcast? And if it wasn't for Luke's gospel, if it wasn't for what we read here, if we just left to our own devices, now how should we respond to the outsider and the outcast? Generally, the response seems to be, now, well, the most loving thing to do is let's just draw a bigger circle in the sand. We need to be more inclusive. But let's just think about that in the context of Leviticus 1st. Now, given what we've looked at, what we've seen, if the priests, if the people decide, you know what, we need to welcome the outcast by just doing away with this whole clean and unclean division, what would the result be? In the context of Leviticus, it's going to be disastrous, isn't it? You're going to have these people who think that they're in this okay state, and they're going to come, and they're going to approach the presence of God, and they're going to be consumed. And that happens. Leviticus 10, that very thing happens. And that's the account that then leads into all these various regulations about the clean and the unclean and the purity laws. People would be left thinking that they're in an okay state. They would approach the presence of God and they would be consumed. And not only then would individuals be consumed, but then it's going to spread along the rest of the assembly. The rest of the assembly is going to be contaminated by this state of death. The rest of the assembly is going to assume that they're in an okay position. Then as they come into the presence of God, they're going to get consumed. Now as we look at this now, you know we don't live in that time period. We don't live in the period of the tabernacle or of the temple. But what we see as we look through the narrative of Scripture is that these purity regulations that they speak to, these spiritual realities that are applicable at every time, in every place, throughout the ages. And it says that to be in a state of death, to be in the state of sin and death, it will not result in life. It will result in being consumed should we encounter the presence of God. Just as light consumes darkness. And it's not because God is bad. It's because He's so good. That to be in a state, to be in that state of sin and death, and then to encounter God, it doesn't result, it won't result in life. It will result in being consumed. And that is why, you know, as a church, it is unloving of us if we affirm a state that God declares is a state of death and say that state is okay. To be inclusive in the way that the world often wants us to be inclusive, it's not loving. It's not going to be loving of us to let people think that they are okay and that they're ready to approach God when the end result is that they're going to be consumed. And and this isn't just talking about same-sex sexual activity. Now, it is wrong of us If we leave people to believe that it doesn't matter kind of what you worship and who you worship so long as you are sincere. And that they're going to be okay when they encounter God. It's not loving to take that approach. It's not loving if we let people believe that just coming along to church and being a generally nice person is going to put them in an okay state. It's not loving if we lead people to believe that they can just say one prayer to Jesus and then just go along life their own merry way, and then they're going to be okay. Scripture tells us that to be in a state, a state that God declares is a state of death, will not result in life. It will result in being consumed. And to reclassify what God declares to be a state of death, In order to be more inclusive and more loving, it isn't loving. I mean, at best, it shows we're ignorant. At worst, it reveals us to be terribly, terribly cruel and uncaring. And so what's the alternative? Do we just create this holy huddle? Is everyone just pushed to the outside? But if that's the case, you know, none of us have hope. Because Scripture declares that we're all, by nature, we're all in that state of death. God's purpose is for the expansion of His kingdom, that the blessing of His presence extend over the whole earth. It's a theme that we've, we've seen starting to be played out in Luke. It's a theme we see through Scripture. The question is, how does this happen? By what means? How does the blessing of God's presence extend? How are the outsiders, how are the outcasts? Now, we ourselves, how are we brought in? While Jesus was in one of the towns, we read, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. And notice how this man is described here. He's not described simply as a leper. This is a man who is covered with leprosy. His whole body, it is completely consumed by this contamination of death. There's a man who comes to Jesus covered with leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and he begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. There's a sense of uncertainty here uh, in the man's words. Now, he's not uncertain about his condition. Now, he knows full well his condition. He's not ignorant that he's covered with leprosy. The fact that he asks Jesus, make me clean. He knows his deep need is to be cleansed. He knows he's in a state of contamination and death. He's not unsure about his condition. He's not sure about how Jesus will respond to his condition. He knows Jesus is able to bring him cleansing, but he's not sure, is Jesus willing? He has this uncertainty, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And maybe you can relate to that in some way. Some uncertainty within you about the heart of Christ towards you. Now, maybe you've been hurt by others in the past. You've been hurt by Christians in the past. Now, those of us who bear the name of Christ, and you've sought to be open, you've, you've come sharing something, not covering over, not hiding those stains of death in your life, and you've been pushed to one side and you've been told to cover it up and to be silent and to not talk about this. Let's forget this. Let's never talk about this again. And you wonder, is that the way Jesus will respond to me? And so you stay hidden away. How does Jesus respond? How are we to respond? If, if that's your experience, then on behalf of those who've done it, who've, who've borne the name of Christ, now I apologize. Because that is not the heart of Christ. That is not the heart of Christ that we see here In this passage, what is it that Jesus does? Verse 13, he reached out his hand and he touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Jesus reaches out and he touches this man. This man who is in this continuous state of all-consuming contamination of death. And Jesus reaches out to him, and he touches him. And that's surprising. It's surprising because, as we think in Leviticus, if someone is in a state of, of being clean, if they come into contact with the unclean, Well, then that's transferred to them. They themselves become unclean. But it's surprising for another reason. Because as we look back into chapter 4, as Jesus goes around, as he proclaims the good news of the kingdom, as he encounters these dark oppressive forces, as the demons cry out, Get away from me, Jesus! Notice how they describe him. Chapter 4, verse 34. Go away, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. The Holy One of God. To the person who's reaching out, who's touching this leper, is not just clean. This is the Holy One. The Holy One of God. Then Leviticus We see that when the unclean encounters the holy, it's consumed. But now when the holy reaches out to the unclean, there is cleansing. Now both of these things are true. And we need to hold this tension. But here is the amazing Mystery, the glory of Christ revealed that we see here in Luke, is that we can be made holy by the holy. Now we we can be cleansed by the holy in order that we may come into the presence of the holy. That in Christ God moves towards us, so that we might move toward Him. And so it's not about making us self-clean for Christ. It is Christ who cleanses us. And Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the man and he said, I am willing. Be clean. And notice the order in which this occurs. Jesus doesn't say, Be clean and then I'll touch you. Jesus reaches out and he moves towards him. He moves towards this man who is in this continual state of this all-consuming contamination of death. Jesus moves towards him. He meets this man where he is. But then he doesn't leave him there. He doesn't leave him in that place. He doesn't just reach towards him and embrace him and now say, now go on your way. Jesus moved towards him. I am willing clean, and the leprosy left him. And that's how Jesus brings the outcast in, and we'll see this being played out a bit more uh, in the following weeks, as we see Jesus' encounters with others, with other outsiders. But Jesus brings the outsider in by cleansing us, by freeing us from this contamination, this all-consuming contamination of death so that we might be brought in, so that we might experience the blessing of God's presence. So as we ask ourselves, you know, how are we to respond to the outcast? Well, we display the glory of Christ that we read of here, moving towards others. We welcome them because Christ has welcomed us. That means we welcome anyone who comes through this door. And we welcome those who don't come through this door because we go out uh, and we meet them. And we meet people where they're at. We meet them where they're at physically, morally, spiritually. But then we don't leave them there. We don't just affirm a state of death as we reach out. And we show and we share, we welcome, we welcome with the good news of the gospel. We welcome with the good news of Jesus Christ. How he is the one who brings us in, that he has brought us in. And so the message that is declared is not be changed and then come to Christ. It's always come to Christ to be changed. And that's a message that we all need to hear. You know Whether we've been a Christian for decades, whether this is the first time that we've heard the gospel. The way that we are changed is by coming to Christ as we recognize perhaps our poverty and our failure and even our sin in welcoming others and not displaying the way of Christ. Now the answer is not now we need to change ourselves and then come to Christ. We need to come to Christ to be changed. We need to behold the glory of Christ. It is true for us. It's how you begin the Christian life. It is how you will live the Christian life. It's how we continue. It's not be changed and then come to Christ. It's come to Christ and be changed. So let's do that now. Lord, we thank you that we can come to you. We can come to you because you are the one who has come to us, Lord, that you reach out to us. Now, all of us, by nature, have been in that state of, of death. Lord, and there are times where where maybe we go back to that. I pray that you would bring, Lord, to us the conviction of where we have strayed, where we've, we've just sought to go. Uh, The way of death. Lord, but also to bring that great comfort. Lord, in seeing that, that we can come to you, Lord, the one who has come to us. May we reflect more and more of your heart. To not be those who are light on sin, but certainly light in touch. Lord, that we would declare... that we would demonstrate that we would embody, Lord, this message. It's not that we are cleansed, that we we come to you. Or that we come to you so that we might be cleansed. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions or would like prayer relating to anything you've just heard, then please do get in touch. We would love to hear from you. You can do so by emailing us using hello at thurfieldchapel.org or fill in the contact form on our website or send us a message on social media. Thank you again. and Please do join us next week online or in Thurfield itself at one of our services or events. We would be delighted to welcome you. God bless.